Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode 18 of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with Benjamin Tipton, owner of Ironclad Performance, which is in Illinois, up by Chicago. And me and Ben got to meet each other through our tenure at Purdue, where he was kind of interested in strongman, and at the time, I was actually interested in bodybuilding, and I was taking interest in powerlifting, and he kind of helped nudge me in the right direction, and we kind of spent some time training together and learning from each other uh, through our undergrads, but also through our time in the weight room at the Co-Rec um, at Purdue at that time. Um, he went on to get his master's down in Texas A&M, and then he also did a professional internship with Northwestern University. So he's had quite a bit of experience there at the collegiate realms, and then he's also spent time with Eddie Cohn in terms of training with him. Um, he's also learned from some of the people at IFAS, like Mike Robertson and Bill Hartman. So he's been around some very intelligent minds, knows a lot of great stuff, and is somebody that's very knowledgeable when it comes to strength conditioning and personal training. As I mentioned, he owns Ironclad Performance, where he basically works with strength athletes, uh, sports performance athletes, personal training clients, and a relatively smaller, uh, almost like a studio kind of style setup. Uh, but it's still a semi-private based gym. But we kind of talk about his experience with that and how it's kind of got him into strength and conditioning and how he basically funded his gym, very similar to how we kind of funded Thirst. We didn't have investors or anything like that. And how strength and conditioning and powerlifting has helped him in his life. Um, also through some personal uh, issues that he's had, and we go on to talk about those. I'm not going to kind of have any spoilers, so kind of make you listen to the episode for that. But he kind of rounds about how strength, and conditioning and being a better person and a coach how it all comes back full circle and works together into being a good coach and, and Ben is somebody I've got a high regard for um, and I can't wait till I get to see him again we usually see each other up in powerlifting meets in the Chicagoland area and it's been a while since we've seen him with everything with COVID and kind of limiting travel and, and all that kind of jazz so um, the excited is with my man Ben Tipton great dude uh, he's got a lot of good insight here, and I think this is a little bit of a different of a podcast for you. We talk a little bit of sets and reps, but we really talk about like his why, and I think understanding people why of why they get into things kind of lets you know about how there are some incredibly good coaches in there that you just probably have never even heard of, and I think Ben is one of the guys. So enjoy episode 18 with my man Ben Tipton. Hey, Ben, this is Brandon. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are things in Illinois and with Ironclad? Well, Illinois is a, it's a special state. Uh, we, uh, we've, been doing, we've been doing well. We've been uh, growing. And uh, with all of the COVID and everything else going on, it's been... There have been ups and downs with it, but you know, overall, we've been we've been growing. More importantly, we have we've pulled together a pretty tight knit uh, group of lifters and athletes 
that have just helped really build the culture out in our facility, which has been huge. So that's what we've been, what we focused on kind of from the beginning is building that culture of excellence. Uh, and with the group we have now, they're really fantastic people on top of being good athletes. So that's been, that's been huge. Yeah. Yeah. So for people that don't know, Ben owns ironclad performance and I would say it's a very similar style gym to my gym thirst. Um, I think we got more square footage, but business model is very, very similar. Um, and me and Ben got to know each other through our tenure at Purdue. Um, so I guess, Ben, I guess kind of, let's kind of go way back. Like what got you into strength and conditioning? Um, and then obviously then later at Purdue and then kind of how did, ironclad performance kind of come to be okay well going back to the beginning uh uh growing up i didn't really have access to team sports i was homeschooled all the way through high school so i and i we were pretty poor at the time so i just didn't have access to athletics or sports but we did have a weight set in the basement and I started lifting when I was about 14 years old, like many, many of us in the industry do. And I had always been big from the time I was born. I was over 10 pounds when I was born. So that just kind of led into this thing. And the more I lifted, the more I wanted to know about how to get bigger, stronger, all that kind of stuff and went through the pretty typical curve of being in the muscle magazines and, you know, seeing bodybuilding and all of that and wanted to be a bodybuilder and being a little too fat to be a bodybuilder and realizing that I like to eat. <laughs> so then kind of shifting from that towards strength sports. And, uh, I started, uh, I forget how I found it, but I found Milo magazine and Milo was a completely different magazine from any of the other magazines that are out there. It was a little booklet that was, for those who don't know, it was a little booklet that was full of really good information and it covered strongman and Olympic lifting and powerlifting and Highland games, really a lot of the sports that you don't see covered in your traditional flex and Right. muscle fitness or any of that kind of stuff so seeing those magazines and reading about about those guys uh really inspired me you know and that was around the time when phil fister won world's strongest man and it was just I, I loved it seeing that kind of stuff i just i just really loved it so without having any other really athletic outlet uh, it, I was able to put my energy into lifting. So I kind of focused on that. And the more I, the better I got at lifting and the bigger I got, the more I wanted to get bigger and stronger and all that kind of stuff. It becomes this self-feeding snake almost. So as I continue down that path, uh, going to school, I decided I wanted to, study kinesiology because I already love that stuff. So I figured I would do well in school if I studied what I liked. Uh, 
and just kept going down that track. And the more I got into the weeds on the science and got into the more technical aspects, it just kind of drew me further and further. And I, I'm a very analytic person to begin with. Yep. So it just kind of fit my personality. So along that journey, I met some really fantastic researchers and really fantastic coaches at some different seminars, you know, and listening to them talk kind of shaped a lot of my thinking, kind of drew me more towards the science side than the, uh, I guess, other sides that are out there. Uh, and I just, I fell in love with it and wanted to, the more I knew, the more I wanted to know. Right. So, you know, around the time I graduated high school, I was, you know, I was thinking about joining the Marine Corps. My brother was a Marine uh, and I wanted to do that. And, you know, balancing everything out, kind of took a, a gap year, sorting all that out. Long story short, I was ineligible to join the Corps. So started going to school at one of the uh, Purdue satellite campuses so went there for about a year as i was kind of figuring out what i wanted to do whether go kind of business track or more uh kinesiology and as i kind of like many 18 19 20 year olds you, it's a path you kind of figure out what you want to do and the more i studied this the more i wanted to know about it so Ultimately, I decided I wanted to go downstate to West Lafayette, to Purdue, West Lafayette, to uh, to study kinesiology, and then from there go to go to business school. So when I transferred down to downstate, uh, studied movement and sports science. Uh, I don't think you were in that program, were you, Brandon? No, I was in the health and fitness. Okay. That, that's what I thought. Yeah, which it was in the process of being changed. So I actually got three options. I could pick like the old school, which was the health and fitness, which I did because then I took the the prerequisites to be able to go to grad school, which it kind of had some wiggle room for me to do that, where if I wanted to do what is now called the applied exercise and health, one, it was going to take me longer. Um, but two, that if I wanted to do the grad school on top of that, it was going to be even longer than that. And I was like, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I loved Purdue, but I was not trying to be at Purdue for six years. <laughs> At least for an undergrad, anyways. Right. Uh, as I'm thinking back, what really drew me to the, the movement and sports science out of all the different tracks was the uh, the capstone class for that program was working with one of the professors on a research project. And again, going back to the kind of science technical aspects that really drew me in, I, I really like that idea. So getting in on, on some of the actual research and learning what true research is which you know <laughs> you've been in this long enough to know that what research doesn't necessarily mean research sometimes yep so uh yeah so transferred downstate and around that time i started competing in strongman uh the very first strongman competition i did was the world's strongest boilermaker i was super excited that uh, Purdue is doing that. So I was in the first one they did. And then after that, 
uh, went on to start competing in mass, which is North American Strongman. And after doing a couple competitions in mass, I uh, ended up helping out uh, you and Chris and uh, some of the other people that were working at the uh in the rec department over there yep we i uh, helped you guys uh host the competition uh the world's strongest boiler maker competition that is uh so i was super excited to see strongman kind of taking getting out there and kind of getting into uh or purdue kind of embracing that strongman uh, and from there, uh, I graduated in 2011, and then from there went to uh, took an, took another year off to work and save up money for school. And it was kind of again was at one of those crossroads of figuring out what to do with my life and all of that kind of stuff, as a lot of us were back in that time where. The job market wasn't great and there just wasn't a lot out there uh, so I had the opportunity to work construction so I did that and I decided in that time that I wanted to uh, go to grad school and become a strength and conditioning coach and ultimately my my goal was to open my own facility I talked to some other coaches and they pretty much said that to go into collegiate strength and conditioning, you pretty much need a master's. You pretty much need to work in the collegiate setting uh, because it's a really it's a really tough field to crack into without contacts. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough field to get into, period. But without contacts, and you don't get contacts without without coaches getting to know you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I've been to Texas a few times. One of my friends was, had moved down to Texas, and I, I loved it out there. There was something about the uh, – just kind of the, the culture, the attitude. I, I don't really know how to say it, but Texas is, Texas is different. And it just kind of called my name a little bit. So there were – there were a few programs in Texas that I was interested in and my top program was at Texas A&M. Uh, they had a program, still have a program where uh, you're taken under the wing of one of the coaches there. Who's a really a fantastic mentor and a, just an exceptional coach. And she kind of takes you under a wing and teaches you, the trade teaches you kind of how to be a college strength and conditioning coach. And then, uh, so there's a, there's a, a two semester practicum that everybody in this program has to go through the first semester. The, everybody in that program makes up a little team. It's kind of treated like one of, one of this coach's sport teams. Uh, the coach, by the way, is uh, Ray Ellsworth. And uh, she is a, just a fantastic human being and a fantastic coach. So uh, the first semester, 
you make up one of her quote unquote sport teams. And then the second semester, she kind of brings you into, into the athletic department and you get the opportunity to coach up uh, some of her teams and you have to do a certain amount of internship hours or I don't exactly know what it's called, but you have to do a certain amount of work with uh, just with the different coaches uh, in their department. So that was a really fantastic opportunity. And uh, it just learned a ton from her, as you can imagine, and just learned how to be a coach. And one of the big things she hammers home is you, you have to know what it feels like in order to coach it. Right. So one of her big things, and that's why the practicum is broken up in the way it is. The first, the first semester, you're one of her teams, and you're going through all of the the workouts that she programs would program for a team. You know, it's not as sport specific as she would for one of her teams, but it's, you get a good taste of everything. Uh, and she really hammers at home of you have to train. If you're going to be a coach, you have to know what you're putting your athletes through. You have to know what it feels like. And you have to walk the walk. So, uh, fantastic experience. Worked with her for about a year uh, as a volunteer coach and lifted with her. And that's, again, that's one of those experiences and opportunities that uh, wouldn't trade for the world because I learned, I learned more from just lifting with her. Uh, we a couple of other students and myself, we all kind of made up a little training crew with her. And that's where you get to know somebody, truly. Uh, so, yeah, from there, uh, my last semester in grad school, I did an in, I finished up all my classwork. And then uh, the last semester, I did a professional internship at Northwestern because it was close to home. It was a big program. They had some, some really good coaches there. Uh, did a professional internship there, and then uh, again, it was it was decision time. So I had to decide uh, what I was going to do after I graduated grad school. Uh, while in grad school, I proposed to my now wife. Uh, we were planning on getting married like two weeks after after I graduated. So it was one of those, okay, well, I can pursue this collegiate strength and conditioning, which usually means for an entry-level job, you're looking at low $20,000 salary. If you get high 20s, it's really rare. Uh, and more than likely, you're going to have to move because there's not, there's only so many schools and there's only so many openings in each school. So made the decision uh, that after we got married that I was going to go back to work in construction. I'm a union iron worker. And I went back to the field and, and started working iron because ultimately opening ironclad or a sport performance facility, we didn't have the name or anything at that time. But uh, 
we wanted to open a sport performance facility and help athletes. That was, that was the ultimate goal. I wanted to spend a few years in the collegiate setting just to, again, you get a lot of coaching hours, you get a lot of time on the floor, but that also comes at a cost. Uh, it can be a rough go. It can be a rough go for a single guy, let alone someone that's married. Yeah. And uh, I just didn't feel right about doing that with being newly married. My wife had a job in Chicago. I just, you make the decisions you make. So I made the best one that I could in that regard. And then uh, went from there. Yeah. So I, Ended up working for about a three about three more years in construction as we pulled together the capital. Uh, we went about, we, we had the idea of what we wanted to do. And what we wanted to do is, like you said, it's very similar to your facility. Uh, we wanted to run small group training, uh, very sports oriented. We wanted to help athletes get bigger, faster, stronger, and injury resistant. So the collegiate model is really good at doing that. They will take a large group of people and churn them through their weight room in a short amount of time and they get great results. So a lot of the collegiate model has influenced how I program, how I look at what we do. Uh, because the coaches at that level have gotten very good at figuring out how to get people stronger and how to get people ready for their sports. So that's, that was the idea we had in our mind is to kind of make a mini college weight room. Uh, in that time I had came up with a list of equipment that I wanted really about three different lists of equipment. The stuff that we needed, the stuff that we wanted, and the stuff that would be ideal. And then uh, we kept the eye, our eye open on the used equipment market. At that time, it was a little bit different than it is now yeah. because stuff is, is super expensive. You see uh, rowers going for like $1,500 now, yep. which yep. is ridiculous. It's a seller's market right now, that's for sure. <laughs> Yes. Yes, it is. So what I had the foresight of doing was I knew what equipment I needed. I had the time because we didn't have any, anything pressing on, uh, on us. We didn't need to be open at any particular time. I was able to just chip away at that list. And I actually ended up getting almost all of the equipment we have in our gym used. Uh, we got six post power lift racks and benches, glute ham raises. Uh, we were able to just pretty much fill our whole weight room for a fraction of what it would cost to buy new. little tip for anyone that's planning on opening their own facility, you don't need the new stuff. No. That's something you see a lot of people. Everyone loves gear. Um, you, you don't, you don't need that. And 
actually learning how to get by with what you have and figuring out how to make the most of it makes you a better coach. So I kind of feel like you need to earn the right to get the fancy toys by going through the period without. Yep. I would agree. So we were able to eventually equip our, our weight room and we had a place we could store everything. We got, like I said, probably 90% of our equipment and just put it in storage for about, ended up being about two years uh, before we were able to open our facility. And after I had, we got to the point where we had the money in the bank that we needed and we had kind of the business model and different things set up. Uh, we were we were eventually able to start looking for a space, and uh, we ended up finding finding a place uh, that was about eighteen hundred square feet, a little less, a uh, little thirty by sixty rectangle, which is a little smaller than I would like. Uh, it's a lot smaller than yours. Yeah, but. We were able to set up the room the way the way we wanted to, and it works. Uh, and then from there, we we've just been very slowly growing and uh, working on getting the word out and bringing athletes in, and uh, yeah, running that that small group model and uh, based on individualized programming and uh doing that thing yeah i think one of the really good things you talked about was that you, know, you got to program to your weight room and what you have and we get a lot of people that come in they're like man we we really like like your space like you have a lot of really good equipment there's some unique stuff here and there's just like everything is is nice and i was like you know well when we started out we just had platforms and racks and turf and dumbbells and a couple kettlebells a couple med balls like and that all the bars we had was what I had in my garage. So, I mean, if we had especially the bars because I bought it for me, not for athletic population, you know, it was just so we, you know, we had a safety bar and a Cambridge bar because I had those for me. But um, for the most part, we just had regular power bars. And um, the, the, we call them the OGs, some of the very first people that we've ever had athletic wise come to our uh, gym. They, they remember what that space looked like. I mean, like, man, it was so open. And there was like, you know, all we did was pretty much, Squat bench, a little bit of deadlift, a little bit of clean, lunges, single leg work, um, you know, abs. We'd use the rig a little bit for different things, but um, and obviously a lot of band work for accessory stuff because we didn't – we had one lap pull down. Um, so that learning to program that with the simplicity stuff, which for most of our kids we still do, but now that we have some junior seniors, we got some of the stuff where we can program some reverse hyper work and some belt sweat marching if we want to, but it's not like a, a bread and butter staple. And you know, like you said, it's nice to have that stuff, but um, going through that year, year and a half period where it was just like bare bones there for a while, you gotta, you gotta learn how to work that. And especially with groups too. Um, you know, if you want to program a group doing safety bar squats, sounds great, but if you only got two safety bars and you got six athletes, there's your hiccup and your roadblock and your programming. That might not be a good decision. You might want to just stick with a front squat if you got enough barbells and racks. Um, 
So I guess also like with, with your facility, with the small groups um, outside of obviously getting it started and getting it funded. um, What do you think is your biggest challenge as a coach? Um, Obviously you, you have a lot of say now you get to decide if you're going to purchase something or what the hours are going to be and how you want to program considering you pretty much get to do that. What do you think is your personal hang up at your gym that uh, you kind of personally struggle with? I would say it's marketing. Uh, that's been something I haven't been very good at. Uh, still, I'm not very good at it. And uh, I mean, I I would not recommend anybody. I would not recommend somebody else starting a business the way we did because it was kind of backwards and going into it I knew it was backwards but it was it was the best way I knew how to do it and the reason I say it was backwards like you said you started in your garage pretty much right yep you built up a crew a training crew you had a number of people who were coming to you for coaching before you actually rented a facility and moved into a space. Yep. And I was even personal training people at Indiana state too. So I also had a clientele list as well. Right. I kind of, because of just the situation I was in, uh, and possibly some of my own stubbornness, uh, went about it backwards where I got the facility and then started bringing people in. Uh, and that was, I mean, like I said, I was working construction. I'm, I'm an iron worker. I can make great money working iron. And I still do that part-time. Uh, but that's also a job that takes a lot. I was working six days a week for a year or two years at a time, you know, working nine, ten hours a day it doesn't leave a lot of time for anything else. Uh, so pretty much I, the gamble I made or the risk I took was, okay, we're going to build up enough capital here by doing this. And then we have that pot that we're able to run this business for a while on zero or very little income. And then as we get people in and then that grows, we let it take off. So we took risk there in that regard. And uh, like I said, it's not, I wouldn't say it's the wisest business decision from a personal standpoint. I think I needed to do it. Uh, And there's plenty of mistakes that I've made and there are plenty of mistakes I continue to make. But uh, again, going back to your original question, I would say that that marketing aspect is, is one of the biggest biggest things that I struggle with and how to to craft that message in a way and then get that message out to different people. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's probably our biggest thing too, that I'm actually trying to learn about the most now is I probably read more about marketing business than I do strength and conditioning. And some days that's hard <laughs> to admit, but I have to think back, you know, I got you know two degrees in this stuff and then obviously how many hours of coaching and like how much time I put into it. That's, 
maybe that's why I'm, I am, I'm good at the X's and O's of that. And I know how to work with people in a weight room. So if I'm willing to put that time there, if I can put that into the business side of it, then that kind of foolproofs it. And I, I think that a lot of people, when they think they want to open a gym, they don't think about that. They just think they just train athletes all day. And if you, if you, if it's truly your business, you know, you don't have investors like, like what we don't, we don't have other people calling the shots for us and giving us financial backing. It's, a, it's truly how we have to, to live and eat and feed our family. You got to be kind of come good at that stuff. And it, it's saying it's, it's, I don't say it stinks, but uh, it's not all it's like dreamed up to be the coaching part's fun, but when you step away from it and you have to learn about the marketing and stuff like that, that's dry. And that's just, obviously not what our passions in, but underlying understand that that's part of what makes it go. Um, so yeah, I, I would, I would definitely agree. The business slash marketing thing is definitely my, my biggest hangup um, as well. So I guess with, um, I guess give us a day to day kind of feel of what um, ironclad is, is like um, in terms of, maybe like obviously you work with athletes, but anybody else you work with and kind of like what your average weekdays kind of like for, for you and in, in your facility. All right. So we work with, we've got probably 70% of our members are power lifters. Uh, strangely enough, we've not gotten any strongmen yet or strong women. Uh, we've got primarily power lifters and then we've got some high school athletes and then a few uh, active adults. So uh, we pay attention to our, our customers, our members, schedules and pretty much everyone is free in the afternoon evening and there's not much in the morning so right now we're not running morning classes we have in the past and we will in the future when there's a need for it but right now i use that time to either work or get my own lift in which is something that's very important to me and has been uh, especially crucial in these last few months. But uh, so we'll have our first athletes coming in around three typically. And then we've got classes on the every hour and a half. So we've got three, three thirty, I'm sorry, three, four thirty, six, and seven thirty. Uh, we'll have athletes kind of coming in because most of our athletes are past the age of high school and work a job we kind of have to be lenient with their time and take into consideration their schedules because some people end up having to work for another 10-15 minutes after their official day is done or whatever else we understand that we're not necessarily the top priority of everyone's day so we have to give a little bit lenience there it's not worth getting nitpicky with people if they come in quote unquote 10 minutes late so we'll have kind of a revolving door all through the afternoon into the evening and then uh that's just kind of how it works everyone has their own individualized program when because we are do have a small space and only so much equipment 
Uh, sometimes we'll have to make adjustments to their programs on the fly uh, because we've only got one safety squat bar. We've got a total of two full racks and two half racks. So sometimes we have to play around with people a little bit, but we like to uh, we like to tell people to use their words and make sure that everybody's working working together in a friendly, cohesive manner. Uh, yeah, that that's a typical Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, and then we'll we'll keep those days open also for appointments. Like uh, this morning, one of my athletes had a family function later in the afternoon. So she asked if she could come in early today. I was like, okay, well, yeah, we can do that. So move some stuff around. I was in here getting my work in first thing in the morning. So she came in and got her stuff in at the same time. Uh, and then, uh, and then we do kind of a big group day on Saturday where we have Saturday morning blocked off and then everyone comes in and it's a bit of mayhem, a bit of fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fridays, we like to do fun fact Friday where everybody is supposed to tell a fun fact about themselves. Uh, I found that to be a good way to kind of get people to know, get to know each other a little bit better and just kind of learn some fun stuff. Uh, one of the best fun facts was one of our athletes friends worked at a restaurant for a month that was, she believed was a mob front. So you learn, you learn different things. Yeah. 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 So knowing that that's kind of how your day to day works, I guess, because we do kind of a similar thing. We, we are open in the morning and our mornings have actually kind of picked up a little bit. And during COVID slash summer, um, our athletes actually were, in during the morning quite a bit because it one it was cooler but also um they kind of helped spread the day they got it done if they had evening practice or whatever they were able to get a lift and practice in um and free some time up in the summer but um from a from a coaching perspective um most of your athletes i would say what is uh, everyone wants to know like what is your coaching philosophy so i guess from your experiences at purdue and northwestern and Texas A&M and just in general, how would you say you go about um, programming and working with your athletes and clients? I know some people would say like, I'm probably lumped underneath that conjugate guy, which I think if a lot of people look at my programs, they don't look that way. <laughs> but um, you know, some people stick with use a lot of five through one principles or, you know, they might even just stay good old fashioned linear, um, you know, kind of what's your programming philosophy and, and how did you arrive upon that? philosophy and obviously it's ever evolving but you know you probably find yourself having more tendencies towards one way or the other yeah so i would say that's kind of almost two different questions there between coaching philosophy and programming philosophy uh one of the things i see a lot of people do especially in the age of the internet coach is lump programming in with coaching and they're two different things because programming is a part of coaching, but coaching isn't necessarily programming. A lot of people like to just say that they're a coach and then all they do is program. So I guess my 
coaching philosophy would be to put the athlete first and to take care of them. You know, that old adage, that old adage, nobody knows how much you care or nobody cares how much, you know, unless they know how much you care. And that's kind of the, the core base of what, of how I approach the things is I'm going to do whatever I can. If it's in my, if it's possible, I'm going to do what, whatever I'm able to do to get you the athlete to wherever they need to go. Uh, from a programming standpoint, uh, this has been something I've been thinking a lot about lately and been looking at some new stuff and been trying some new things. But really, what there's kind of two different things that I like. I mean, first, let me take a step back real quick. You look at the athlete and look at what the athlete needs. So, you know, you, you do those assessments and some people have formalized assessments and some people have uh, less formalized assessments. You know, uh, Bill Hartman talks a lot about how every everything is an assessment. You watch how they do every exercise, every rep, that's an assessment in and of itself. So you get people in, you get people working and you watch how they move and you figure out where their weaknesses are and what need, what they need work on, whether it's a, a motor issue, whether it's a strength issue, so forth, so on. So first and foremost, you do those assessments, you look at the athlete, you watch how they move, and then you figure out what they need work on. And then you build out from there. Uh, programming wise, I really like Cal Dietz's triphasic. I like to work that in uh, a good few times a year. And I'll run a six block or a six week triphasic block. I especially like doing that. Uh, I found it to be very effective in uh, meat prep for powerlifters. Running a six week block of triphasic, week deload, and then a however many, six, seven week, depending on how far out we start, running a six or seven week kind of meat, meat taper right at the end there. I found that to be very effective and gotten a lot of, a lot of uh, success out of that. Uh, so I like, I really like that triphasic, but again, that's something that I'll use once a quarter, once every six months. Uh, and then from there, I like I like linear and I also like conjugate. So again, depending on what I see somebody's weaknesses or where their deficits are, I like to work in some stuff. So if it's somebody coming back after however many months of not really training, or a perfect example is after after COVID. You know, in Illinois, everything was shut down for about two and a half months. You know, all the gyms were shut down. So not very many people actually had a place to train. So all of our athletes coming back, I pretty much just said, okay, I'm going to assume a baseline of zero, and we're just going to run a basic linear 
progression. We do three sets of eight, three sets of nine, three sets of 10, you know, just to get that, to get back into training shape. Mm -hmm. uh, so coming back from a break, I like to start with some linear and then from there going into some uh, conjugate work tends to work really well. Being able to get a lot of first reps in, you know, that old West side, 10 sets of two, 15 sets of two, something like that, uh, using bands and boxes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, like the box squat to teach people how to squat with their hips. That's been successful. So at the end of the day, I see less and less differences between the different programs because it's, it's all training at the end of the day. And you need to go with what you're successful with. A uh, number of years ago, I had the opportunity to train with Ed Cohen for a while uh, and be coached by him, uh, which he's a, number one, he's a fantastic human being and just a, a great guy. Uh, what I really like about him is his ability to simplify it. You know, especially people like you and me who have multiple degrees in exercise science and we like to complicate things. Mm -hmm. Take the greatest power lifter of all time and he's like, okay, well, you know, just do this and this, just strengthen this. And it's so simple, but it's so, it's so true and it's so right. So I have to remind myself to stop and take a step back sometimes and just simplify it. And usually, that simpler answer is the best. Right. Yeah. And I've, I do that to myself too, even when I write my training programs and I got to think who I, who I got this from. It might've, might've been Mike Robertson. Oh no, it was, it was from Eric Cressy was that usually when I'm writing programs, I now start setting myself a timer and that way it prevents me from overcomplicating the thinking process. Cause I'm like, you know, if I'm working with a baseball athlete and we're doing rotational stuff and I've got, you know, a list of different rotational things we can do. And I'm sitting there and think, well, we've done this, we've got this. I start overthinking about what my options are and why I can make a case for this or that. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, the kid's 16, 15, as long as it's probably rotational and power based to what I'm thinking about, you know, which one I pick probably is not going to matter that much at, at that training age. You know, if I had an MLB player, I might give it some more thought and some more time because they probably got more injury history and, you know, more, more things I need to consider, but with the average kid, there's probably not a whole lot of complications, so I shouldn't overcomplicate it. And doing that has actually helped me a ton in terms of when I have to think about what I'm going to do programming wise, I usually set my timer for about 15 or 20 minutes, depending upon the kid and how many days are coming in and my history with them. And then it's like, you know, that gives me so much time. And if that timer goes off, then I just got to start picking simple things and, and quit overthinking it. And uh, that's done me well. And that thing with Ed Cohn is a good point because every time I've talked to Ed Cohn um, through some of the LFTS seminars I've been at, I mean, he's very simple. He's like, you know, if your, if your back's weak, just do more bent over rows. If your deadlift needs more work, then guess what? Just you need to get more total deadlift reps in with the week. It doesn't mean you've got to do 10 sets of 10, but, you know, you can deadlift a little on your squat day. If, it, if it's something that needs to be addressed, just don't go balls out on it, but use that time to work on your technique and, bring up your butt and your hamstrings with whatever you're going to use to do that. Just pick one or two exercises. And sometimes we want these fancy answers and yeah, that doesn't 
doesn't require that. And Ed is, I would say Ed is as simplified as they come. So uh, with his, with his training. So one of the um, other kind of final one things I want to talk to you with, um, I know it's definitely personal. We kind of talked about it already, um, which was the life experience with your wife that you had not too long ago and how that's impacted you. You talked about um, being a good coach on programming philosophy versus coaching philosophy. That's very good. I need to make sure that I need to catch myself on that because I completely agree with you um, that, you know, I, there are people that do coach and don't really do a whole lot of programming. And there's a lot of people that do programming, and a lot of coaching. So there is a difference. Um, but you know, talk about your, um, your life experience with your wife and how that has shaped you guys as a family, as a, as a person, as a coach and, you know, how, um, how we should go along cherishing that and, and using that as not only coaches, but just as people in general, whether anyone listening to this is a coach or not. Yeah, and you'll have to forgive me if I get a little emotional here. No, that's okay. But uh, uh, March 18th, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay. Uh, we lost our son. That's <clears throat> uh, right at the beginning of COVID. Uh, everybody. You know, the whole world's kind of thinking about that, but the experience my wife and had, my wife and I had was uh, the losing of our son uh, shortly after he was born. Uh, as our first son, uh, his name is Theodore Rex, call him Theo, uh, and that has uh, certainly tempered our life and has certainly been a uh, it, a life-changing experience for us. Uh, you know, it's something we're dealing with now and we'll be dealing with for some time. Uh, something that is going to be on our hearts and minds for the rest of our lives. Uh, but I don't, I don't say that to, uh, you know, seek pity or anything like that. Really, I want to use that as a, uh, just to tell what that's, what that's taught us. And for me, what, what I've really learned is how precious life is. And it is, you don't, you really don't realize what you have until it's gone. And you really don't, you can't comprehend how fragile and and truly special this life is until, well, I, I can only speak for myself here, but I certainly couldn't have, I certainly did not truly value life in the same way before losing Theo. And that's something I, I really want to, 
I would really like to see more people understand and appreciate is just how short time is here and to use that time wisely. You know, it's, this life is a, is a beautiful gift that we have and it's, it's a wonderful thing. And let's, let's make the most of it. You know, you know, you look at, you go on Facebook and Facebook is just an entire dumpster fire of people being angry at each other. And there's, there's no need for that. I mean, we can agree or disagree on something that doesn't have to devolve into what's going on now on social media. Yeah. And th there's, There, there's so much out there that that we have, and there's so much beauty out there. Enjoy it, you know. We, especially as a business owner, as a coach, as a strength athlete, you know, getting into all this stuff, we we overbook ourselves all the time, you know, and we end up, you know, chasing that brass ring or, or whatever else, and so many times we don't ask ourselves why we're why we're doing this and don't take the time to really think about what we truly enjoy what we truly love so i would encourage all of your listeners and and whoever whoever i run across and asks those questions and gets into this life is precious make the most of it do something good for somebody else you know there's that's how you can put value in this world. And that's how, how you can make the most of, make the most of this life. And if we're not making the most of it, it's, we're letting it slip away, you know? So that may not have been as coherent as I had hoped it would be. <laughs> Uh, but like I said, I'm, I'm still working through this stuff and I, I will be working through it for some time, but it's a beautiful life. And as, as much as you can embrace it and live it to the fullest and, Take the time to really think about those things that matter to you. You know, those things that add joy and fulfillment to your life and not just watching movies or whatever else. You know, there's so much we end up chasing that doesn't really matter. You know, think about what matters and think about the love of family and doing those things for other people that that add to their life and that will add to your life. You know, the, when we're, I, I can't explain to you how much it mean, meant and means to us when we're at the absolute lowest point in our life and somebody does a, a small thing, just the smallest thing that's, a little bit of love, a little bit of kindness, how much that means. 
There are people that have done things for us that are not necessarily close friends, that are not necessarily family, that have done those little pieces of kindness that mean the world to us. And for somebody that's hurting, for somebody that's in a place where they don't know which way is up or which way is down, doing a little piece of kindness and doing something that that is meaningful to them is all the difference that is so powerful. And that will be something that they will remember for the rest of their lives. So if you have somebody that's going through something, and I know, I know you and your wife have gone through your fair share of trials recently, and I'm sure you can attest to this. Those little kind messages or, or somebody that saying that that thing, that means so much more than the actual words. You know, I don't know how many times I've been told, I, I don't know what to say to you. Because when they hear that, we lost our son. And most people don't. But saying something and just, and, and again, it's not the words. It's the, that small expression of care and love that is so meaningful. So if you have somebody that you love that's hurting, you know, reach out to them. Doing something small could mean the world to them. Yeah, and I, I, can, I can only begin to fathom, like you said, with the, my wife's experience last summer so i mean she basically finished it in 2019 so um she has been cancer free now but yeah that's that's just one of those things just as a swift kick and like i think too many people think oh that would never happen to me or that's that's so unlikely and and then until it until it does and you actually do get that swift kick um it kind of changes everything and kind of changes your perspective and um i mean that's you know i think a good thing that you brought up was that you know you got to think about doing good for other people and generally that's how we try to not only make business decisions but just whenever we make any kind of decision in general like what we're doing is it providing value to other people it doesn't have to provide value to our business can it do something for the community which is why we do our fundraisers like you know we a lot of people think that oh that's a really good thing you guys do and you know it's a really good idea but like technically like from a business like that's a loss like we lose money when we do stuff like that but that's because it's, it's the right thing to do it's not about lining our pockets it's about doing what's right because we we had some kind of family impact and if we can help lessen the impact to another family or another individual or like you said do something to show kindness and care to that person or family um ideally that's what should be done because you never know if it could be you or not and if it comes back to haunt you um so yeah that's um and and coaching i would i would say is at least in my experience for the most part coaches are usually very giving people most people that are do what you and i do we do not do it to be rich by any means we do it because we want to impact other people um and like you said the the coaching part of it taking care of the athlete or the person or the client is, is I really, why we got into what we do. Um, we just do it through using weights and med balls and, and exercise and health, which, you know, 
with COVID right now, we are understanding the value of that more and more, I think, every month as this kind of goes on. And uh, to be able to use those platforms that we have as coaches is really important. So um, that's a very, very good point. And I hope anyone that heard that um, um, can kind of take away what you're, you're getting at there with how precious that life is, because it is definitely very challenging. So um, Ben, that has been really good. I appreciate your time. Um, I want to give you a couple minutes here. If you got anything else you want to add or say, um, you know, maybe where people can kind of find you at, um, in social media world or your, um, your website, I'll have everything linked in the show notes for people to find if they want to read more, um, about, about you and your gym and, um, everything that you sent me, but, um, go ahead and give people an idea of where you're at and anything else you want to add. Yeah. Well, number one, I want to thank you, Brandon, for all you do. Uh, it's been a pleasure watching you open your facility and, and grow grow your gym and podcasts and everything that you're doing. I know you're helping a lot of people and it's been awesome knowing you for as long as I have, seeing you get out there and, and crush it. it. It's awesome. Uh, our facility, Ironclad Performance, is located in the western suburbs of Chicago, uh, Downers Grove. So if any lifters are in, uh, in that area, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, social media is Ironclad Performance on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Uh, have not since, since losing Theo, we haven't really been active on any of those platforms. It's been tough for me to figure out how to pick that up and start doing that stuff again. So uh, there's not, it's not super current on there, but you can look us up on there and uh, we've got some videos and some different things on there, but uh, that's where you can find us. We're in, in the Western suburbs of Chicago. And uh, if there's anything we can do to help anyone, we'll, we'll do what we can. Uh, one of the things when, people inquire about our gym and talk to me. I always approach those meetings in a way of uh, trying to find the best fit for them, whether it's us or somebody else. So if you're new to the area and want to know your options, I'll do whatever I can to point you in the best one, whether it's us or somebody else. I think that's the right way to do things. And in the long run, you get the people that, are the best fit for you and the best fit for somebody else. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there and there's more than enough for each of us. So, yeah. All right. Well, Ben, again, I thank you for your time. I'm glad to see that you guys are doing well and you guys are back up and, and going to everything. And uh, I know that we running, running to each other and powerlifting meets up there whenever they're going on. Um, I know currently me and my wife aren't looking at any meets for us particularly. And I don't even think our, anybody in our gym is right now just because of how crazy everything is. I think everyone's kind of being a little bit of a homebody, which I understandably so. Um, but hopefully we can run and see you again up there and, um, or even maybe at Purdue and everything's calmed down with all this stuff. Um, so that's been very, I agree. It's been very cool to see things come for, full circle from the whole Purdue um, tree. We had a good group of guys there in that wreck and we had a lot of good memories and, I know it's the culture there has definitely changed, but I, I do feel like 
the group that we had there kind of nudged things to to have a little bit of barbell presence at the at the school because we were kind of almost the misfits, even though we weren't trying to be. We just wanted to train, um, and we didn't really have a place to go home. So um, it's been it's been really cool to watch that pan out over the past decade or so. So um, tell your wife hi, and again, I can't appreciate this enough, and um, hope you guys are well. Thank you. Thanks, See ya. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. Feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period t-h-i-r-s-t or you can give me a follow at b smitley that's b-s-m-i-t-l-e-y for more updates on future episodes to come i'm your host brandon smitley and we'll catch you at the next episode